You guys, that is Sophia. She's our new creative arts pastor. I can't wait for you to get to see her up here and uh, enjoy her as much as the rest of our staff is. But I'll tell you this about the Super Bowl. It would seem to me if there's no loser, then there's no winner. Would you agree with that? Feels like that all around. Uh, we're going to get into a little bit of winning and losing today as, as we, we look at this message and what I think God's got for us. But before we do, I want to ask you to stand up with me. We're going we're gonna to take a minute and do something together as a church congregation. Uh, I want to take a moment. We've got a little bit of extra time today, and I want you to find someone in the room you don't know. So that means like if you're over here, you could walk all the... If there's someone cute you've had your eye on for a while. You can walk over and introduce yourself. Keep your masks on. We don't want anyone to, you know, spread contagions, I guess. But we have a question for you. What was it, the la what was it like the last time you bought a car? How long did it take? Was the experience a positive experience? All right? Go find somebody you don't know and talk about that with each other, okay? All right, let's bring it back. Go ahead, find your seats. Find your way back to your seats if you haven't yet. That is plenty of time. At this point, I'm worried some of you are trying to sell each other cars. Let's, uh... All right. Well, I don't know if you have noticed this. I don't know if you've noticed this, but in the last few years, there have been an onslaught of companies whose job it is to help you buy a car, right? Actually, I, I, I guess every car dealership thinks it's their job to help you buy a car, but I'm talking about companies that are trying to make that transaction as seamless as possible. There's at least three of these that you do it all on the internet, Carvana and Shift and, and Vroom. You, you literally just pick out your used car on their website. You don't even have to talk to a live person. They will just drop the car off at your house and you have a week to decide if you wanna keep it. Um, Carvana even has vending machines in certain cities around the country where you just show up and you pick up your car you bought on the website from their vending machine building. Car buying has never been easier. And at the same time, what you lose in that internet process is the opportunity to negotiate. Now, most people I speak with hate 
negotiating the price on their car. Do most of us here know what it's like to go to a car dealership, and a traditional dealership, and go through the haggling and the back and forth process of trying to land on a price? Um, there is the moment that you decide, there's the moment you decide on what car you want, and you see the sticker, and you ask the salesperson, hey, what is the best price you're willing to give me on this? But that is usually followed by what feels like about an hour of your salesperson checking with their manager to see how low they're willing to go, right? And inevitably, they come back and they say, wow, I have never seen my manager go so low. <laughs> you are getting the deal of a lifetime. And you say, eh, well, you know, it's still too much. And then they leave for what feels like another hour. And when they come back, they say, wow, he was willing to come down another $500. I'm not even sure we're going to make any money off of this. And you say, well, still not enough. And you start to walk toward the parking lot, and they stop you, and they say, hold on, let me, let me just try one more time. And they come back with what feels like another hour later. Finally, they have arrived at the number that you were hoping for. This is the number that you pre-researched. <laughs> you know that they really are going to make no money off of this. And you say, yes. And then... You wait another hour to go to the finance department to sign the paperwork. And while you're in there, they try to sell you an extended warranty, right? And they try to charge you for, for glass etching on your windows. And you leave after four hours with your new used car wondering, could I have gotten them even lower? I see why the online car buying thing has become so popular. No hassle, no haggle. And at the same time, what it means is you are probably not getting the best deal that you could because the best deal is the one where you save as much as you can and the other person makes nothing. Now, that is interesting. Sometimes we think the best deal is the one where we get as much as we can and the other person gets as little as possible. Have you ever thought about that? That in most negotiations to buy something, your goal isn't just to spend as little as possible. It's to make sure that the other person ends up with less. It's true of anything that you negotiate to buy. A car, a house, um, you could be at a flea market. The plan is for me to win and for you to, um, I don't want to say lose, but uh, not win as much as me. And depending on how much you enjoy the game of negotiation, actually, sometimes the goal is for the other person to lose. In fact, uh, this will be fun. If I were to ask you right now, what board game is most commonly associated with, with greed, competition, big business, what game might you think I'm talking about? Monopoly, Monopoly, all right. Did you know Monopoly was invented in the early 1900s and it was called the landlord's game? Um, a, a woman named Elizabeth Maggie invented the game, and, and here was her hope to teach people about the evils of monopolies and to warn society about the dangers of land ownership. She wanted to warn everybody about greed and big business and how if we let big business buy up everything, our lives will be spent landing on their spaces paying rent. The game was about preventing monopolies. Okay, the winner of the game was the first person to double their money. That was it, double your money. Somehow, as this game grew in popularity, the focus shifted to be about building monopolies and to win. How do you win Monopoly? You bankrupt your opponents. Monopoly is over when everybody loses everything and you have it all. And, and while maybe that's okay to have as your objective in board games and car purchases, 
I wonder what happens when that outlook on life seeps into our relationships and our every day with the people around us. I, I, I kind of wonder if many of us, the way we enter our relationships is transactional. Which, which is sometimes okay, but the transaction to us is about getting the most I can and giving up as little as possible. And can I tell you, when you carry that idea into your relationships, it will kill them. I, I don't just mean your marriage. That's a given. But I mean the people that you teach at an elementary school with or, or who you're partnering with to develop some property I, I mean the person who you really are competing against for what chair you are in the orchestra or the person you've hired to babysit your kids. If you carry, how can I get the most out of this person while leaving them with less into any of those relationships, you will kill those relationships and it will hurt whatever else you're trying to get done in this life. Now, I think that you already know that, but can I tell you, there is something in you that still pushes you to behave that way. It's why the landlord game, an innocent game, turned into Monopoly. It's why, think about this, game shows went from being the price is right, where pretty much everybody walks away with something and all the contestants are happy for each other. That's what game shows used to be. Game shows turned into Survivor, where the point is to outwit your opponents so that you win a million and they end up with nothing. The point is to vote everyone else off the island. And, and here's what's going on inside us that causes us to act this way. The false belief that life is a zero-sum game with winners and losers. And for me to get what I want, it means that you can't get what you want. Let me say that again. Inside of you, there is an idea that for you to be a winner, there's got to be a loser. And you getting what you want or what you need means somebody else is going to have to take less. And if you believe this, it's going to cause problems. Um, when I first moved to Las Vegas, I was hired as a church at, their, at a church as their creative arts pastor. And uh, my job was to plan the services, among other things. And, and this was a church that had just started a few years earlier. We were meeting in a high school at the time, an auditorium. But we had bought some land. We were getting ready to build. And, and when I got there, the senior pastor said to me, Chris, you're, you're coming from a large church in Michigan with a state-of-the-art auditorium. I would like you to represent us on the build-out of our new auditorium. And, and we've got a company that we already hired here in town to do all the sound and all the light and all the video. They are experts in this. And we chose them because the guy who owns that company goes to the parent church that helped start us. And he's done a lot of work there. And the company is good. And we chose them because he offered to do it for cost. I said, what do you mean do it for cost? Just the cost of the materials? Like just the install alone will be weeks worth of work. He, he's not gonna just pay his crews to come out and install the equipment and then train all of our, our people on this equipment for free. And our senior pastor, pastor said, yes, he is. He's that kind of guy. And so I went to lunch with this man, and he said, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I just love the church. My business is successful. That's my way of giving back. I said, great, excited to work with you. All was good until it came time to get the equipment list and, and make sure that we were all in agreement on what we're going to put in the new auditorium. I got a list from him. It had every microphone on it, every light, every video projector. It had prices next to each item. And I added it up, and sure enough, the total cost of all the equipment added up to the final, final price at the bottom of the page. And I said, wow, 
This guy kept his word. No charge for labor, no charge for installation, training. And I handed this long list of things that we would be buying to a volunteer audio engineer we had whose day job was doing tech work for casinos on the Las Vegas Strip. And I said, what do you think? Is this the equipment we want? And he said, yes, but why are we paying twice as much for this soundboard as it would cost us to literally just go buy it ourselves on the internet? And why is every single light in the auditorium priced over list price? And we went through each item and what we could buy them for. And what we found was we were being charged 30% more than what we could buy them for ourselves. Well, it is at that point that car negotiation Chris kicked in. And I called the owner and I said, hey, this is kind of weird, but... Uh, your prices are far higher than what we can get if we just go buy these things ourselves. And he said, but you can't go buy them yourselves. And I said, yeah, no, we can. I, I mean, I literally just pulled them up on the internet. I can buy them right now. And he said, no, you can't because I've already bought them for you. Before you got here to Vegas, your church already authorized me to go start buying stuff on your behalf. And, and when I found a good deal here and there, this is all the stuff that I've bought. And I said, well, you paid too much. We're not paying it. And over the course of the next month, or maybe two, there was a fight. Me standing my ground, we're not going to pay more than list. Him suggesting that I was trying to take advantage of his generosity. Me suggesting he was lying to us, and he was actually not going to do the installation and training for free, but he worked that into his cost by upcharging for the equipment. And here's why I'm telling you this very unflattering story. <laughs> my goal was, how can we get this for actual cost, and he makes nothing? This thing on the screen behind me, we get what we want, and you don't get what you want. My goal, zero sum, and I didn't even feel bad about it, because he had told me, we don't want to make anything off of this transaction, and so I was dead set on making sure that they didn't make anything, and here's what I learned. That is really bad business, and it's really bad relationship. It turned into a relational disaster that required us bringing somebody else in to talk with him because he wouldn't talk with me anymore. And a rift developed between our church and this company, and it killed the relationship, even if he said he was okay with that initially. And I learned a lesson that season, zero sum, where you win and the other person ends up with nothing is a bad way to go through life. And there is a chance this morning that you are thinking, I don't have anything like that with anybody. But believe me when I say, you have an inclination to be this way. And, and you might have relationships that are really valuable to you that you have no idea are hanging on by a thread because you do some of this. Well, I want to show you, God has another option for you, and it's already in you. And this other thing is fighting this zero-sum thing that is inside of you. I'm going to show it to you in the Bible with an episode from the life of this guy named Abram. And, and here's my, 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 my hope that even right now, you're going to be able to leave today and think about some kind of negotiation you're in with someone. Because we're all always in some negotiation, even if it's over where we're going to go for lunch today or who's doing the dishes tonight. My hope is you'll be able to choose the other thing that God has for you instead of zero sum. 
Let me show you what happens with this guy, Abram, all right? We, we really first find his story in Genesis 12. Uh, uh, Abram is mentioned in Genesis 11. It's just a very quick mention. Genesis 12 is where we start to understand what he means to God. Take a look at verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household, to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. I'll make your name great. And you, Abram, will be a blessing. God has chosen Abram. He's chosen Abram to be the founding father of God's people. And he says, look at this. I want you to leave your country and go to some land that I will show you. I have land just for you. So leave your people. Leave your father's household. I'm not giving this land to them. To your brothers, your sisters, your cousins, your nephews, your nieces. I'm giving it to you, because you're the one I'm going to make into a great nation, and you will be my people. So, verse 4, Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Someone named Lot went with him. Who is Lot? We're going to find out in a second. But first, Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran, and he took his wife Sarah and his nephew Lot. Okay, Lot's his nephew. And all that they had, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. So Abram takes his wife, and he decides to bring his nephew, Lot. Okay, we're not sure why he brings Lot. And, and God doesn't seem upset right here in this moment that he brings Lot. But it's important to know the land is given to Abram and Sarah, not to his nephew, Lot. Lot is included in the people that Abram had the right to leave behind. Now, some time passes. And we read in chapter 13, Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and in gold. And in verse 5, it says, Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. Abram and Lot have both done very well for themselves. However, verse 6 says, But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. Okay, let me set the scene. Abram and Lot's families start having conflict. There's not enough room for everyone. They had so much livestock between the two of them, there wasn't enough water and vegetation to feed all the animals. And it, and it says things were getting so bad, the ranchers were starting to fight with each other. I, I know that it actually says herders, um, but I have been watching a lot of Yellowstone this year, and I'm going to say ranchers or cowboys, okay? The ranchers are starting to fight with each other, and look at this last line on here. It seems like a throwaway, but look at it. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. What that means is when Abram and, and Lot's people start fighting each other, it's a bad thing because their enemies take notice, and they see that the family is compromised. This is a good time for us to attack. And this is going to be a problem for everybody if Abram and Lot don't get this thing worked out. Now, what would you do? If you're Abram, you could think, you know what? Maybe there's not enough space, but this is my promised land. I mean, God literally brought me here. He promised this to me. He promised Lot and his people nothing. They just tagged along. And I... I did something to deserve this. God looked at me and he thought, that's the one. He's the faithful one that I'm going to choose to be the father of my people. He didn't choose Lot. 
and I'm going to need all of this. I mean, God wants to build a nation out of me, out of my descendants, not my nephews or my cousins, my own children, my sons, my daughters. Nations take up a lot of room. And you know what? Lot can go get his own land. He can go fight somebody if he needs to, uh, go find someone's land and, and take it over, or he can find empty land somewhere. The earth is big, plenty of land out there. Okay, Abram is faced with the struggle. We got too crowded here. We're quarreling. Something has got to change. And Abram has the opportunity in this moment to listen to this lie, that I need to be the winner, and that means me getting what I want, while Lot does not. But look at what Abram does instead. Verse 8. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or, or between your herders and mine, for we're close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. And if you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I will go to the left. Abram says to Lot, let's split up, and even though God has promised all of this land to me, you choose which part of the land that you want for you. Lot, I will give you half. Which half do you want? Um, parents in here who are parents of young kids, especially those of you with like two kids, um, do you ever have like a dessert or a pastry that you're going to cut in half for your kids? And, and you're going to cut it in half thinking that you're avoiding a fight over who gets the dessert. But what happens is they end up fighting over who gets the bigger piece, right? Even though the pieces are the exact same size. Um, when my kids were smaller, I had this happen more often than I could count. Well, what smart parents have learned to do is to have one of your kids cut the dessert in half. And then whichever kid didn't cut it gets to choose which piece they want, right? Okay, this is kind of what Abram does. I'm going to divide the land down the middle, and now you, Lot, decide which piece of land you want. Now, this is an important strategy, because what Abram has just done, Abram has chosen to commit to the truth inside of him that is fighting this zero-sum lie. Here's the truth, that I can create win-for-all solutions no matter what life hands me. I can create win for everybody solutions, no matter what life brings my way. Every conflict I come across, every dispute, every problem, every concern, every opportunity, I can find a way to make it a win for me and a win for the other person or the other organization. A win for everybody. And what I believe that God would have you know today, there is a fight in you between this part of you that believes in order for you to win, somebody else has to lose, and the truth, which is as a child of God and a follower of Jesus and a person with the Holy Spirit inside of them, the power of the Holy Spirit, you have the ability to find a way to make anything a win for all. In 1934, an 11-year-old boy named Heinz was living in a Bavarian village in Germany. This is 1934. He's living there with his family while anti-Semitism was spreading through Europe like wildfire. Heinz was Jewish, and he lived there with his family, and his tensions mounted between Jews and Germans in the village. His dad, a school teacher, lost his job. 
put their family into a really hard place, lots of hardships, really bad. In this village, gangs of Hitler youth roamed the neighborhoods looking for trouble, and young Heinz had to learn to keep his eyes open, to stay out of their way. Like he would cross the street when he would see them coming in the distance. Sometimes he could escape a fight, sometimes he couldn't. Well, one day, Heinz found himself face-to-face with one of these Hitler youth, and he thought he was going to get beat up. It seemed inevitable, but before Heinz could get hit, he said to this kid that was about to beat him up, it seems to me that if you fight me, you're just going to get dirty and potentially in trouble. And who knows? Maybe I will be the one who wins this fight, or maybe somebody will come to my rescue that you don't know about around the corner. And besides, a fight is just more energy you have to exert today, and you have other things you're going to have to go do, and it all just seems kind of foolish and unnecessary, right? And the Hitler youth walked away. Hey, from that point on, the 11-year-old Heinz learned the power of words to avoid conflict. And considering the anti-Semitic culture he was in, it was a skill that he had to use often. In fact, it was a skill he perfected, which is why which is why when his family escaped Bavaria and made their way to America and he grew up, his name became synonymous with peace negotiations. You don't know him as Heinz. You know him by his American name, Henry, Henry Kissinger. Now, he's not a man that's without controversy, but he's probably the most well-known, effective negotiator of the past 100 years. And what a good negotiator knows is that long-term, if you want peace and harmony with somebody, you have got to create win-for-alls. And you have the power in every situation you're in to create win-for-alls. And when you do, it can change everything. Can you imagine the challenge that you're having right now with one of your kids? What if you could find a way for both of you to win? What would that mean for your relationship? Or, or the problem that you are having with a coworker? What kind of trust would it build if they saw that you want a win for them just as much as you want one for yourself? How would you leave people feeling? The people that you are negotiating with, who, who, who are used to negotiating with people who seem to want them to lose, that their lives are better, which makes your life better when you come up with win for alls. What did this actually look like for Abram? What did he do to create a win for all? Okay, two things. First, he took the initiative to be the peacemaker. He was the one who said, let's figure out a way to solve this. And right there, that is something that you and I can learn from Abram about how to create win for alls. They don't just magically happen. Somebody has to decide to work this thing out. Abram is the one who said to Lot in verse 8, let's not have any quarreling between us, your, your herders, your, your mine. We are close relatives to create a win for all. Somebody has to be the peacemaker. You can take the initiative. The second thing he does, this is a hard one. He is over generous. He gives way more than is necessary. He doesn't have to give anything. Even giving half the land is incredibly generous, but he gives Lot the option to choose. And look at what happens. Um, I haven't shown you this yet. Verse 10, Lot looked around after Abram makes this offer, and he sees the whole plain of the Jordan, told Zoar. He sees it was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. So Lot chose for himself 
the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. And it keeps going. The two men parted company. And Abram lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain. And he pitched his tents near Sodom. Lot chooses the greenest, nicest, most beautiful part of the land. The part that is good for growing. He chooses the part that is best for cattle and the part that is kind of near this town that's becoming the, the new entertainment capital of the world, Sodom. And Abram is left with the other part. Abram gives more than what is needed. He gives more than is required. And if you want to create win-for-alls, besides taking initiative, the next great thing you can do is give more than you have to. Lot gets all the great land, and Abram is left with the rest. Now, that sounds terrible. It sounds like Abram got the raw end of the deal, but watch, watch this. Verse 14, the Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are to the north, look to the south, look, look east, look west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth. So that if anybody could actually count dust, your offspring would be counted. Go walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. God is so honored by Abram's generosity. He says to Abram, not only am I going to make a nation out of you, but this land you're left with, this is going to be great land. And it's going to be yours forever. And I don't know. Maybe you feel like the nice guy finishes last. And, and maybe Abram was feeling like he got taken advantage of, cheated, discouraged. I mean, Lot knew that God had promised this land to Abram, and the fact that he would take the good stuff, not cool. It's like a stab in the back. So for God to see Abram give more than he had to and to see him create a win for all, God decides to reiterate his promise and add to it. I'll give you this land forever. And the win for Abram is he's got God on his side. The God who believes that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. The God who says that the one who gives will receive and, and the one who takes, even his land will be taken from him. Which, which by the way, want to know what happens with Lot's land? In a few chapters, we're going to find out that a lot of people saw that green land that Lot took as something that they wanted too. And some not so great people move there. And let's just say Sodom does not last. Things go bad for Lot, even though Abram tries to set him up to succeed. And Abram, who is over generous, finds God to be over generous with him. By creating a win for another person, God creates a win for Abram. As we close out this series, looking at these fights that are going on inside you, let me tell you, this fight might be the toughest of them all because this fight is not just in you. All, it, is, it is all around us. Our world is Monopoly. It's Survivor. But what if we, the church, could be a people? Like you could be a person that every time someone deals with you, they win. Every transaction with you, every conversation, every, every moment, they walk away from time with you. They feel like they have won. They always win. What would that say about you? You can do this. You know how I know you can do this? Because you follow a God who has created win-for-alls for you. 
You know what it is to be the recipient of that through Jesus. And, and the God we follow, when we deal with him, we always win. You can win this fight and, and all the others we've looked at this series. We are glad you joined us for this series. Would you stand with me? Let's pray together before we go. God, as we close it out, th this series, and, and, and I think about what we've just spoken about together, I know that, that almost everyone in this room has some relationship, some person we feel like we are constantly in negotiation with. And at some point in those conversations and in those relationships, it just feels like we're, we're, we're in a competition where we want to win, and we don't care if it means less for them, a loss for them. And God, I just ask this week that you would remind us that you don't look at us like that. You look at us and see us as people who you want to see win. You create win for all of us. God, as we're reminded of that from you this week, would you help us be that with every person we come into contact with? And all God's people said, amen. amen. Thanks for coming today. We'll see you next week as we start a new series.